0: Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at a verse I think that is really really interesting. We'll see it in just a minute. We're continuing our study of angels and we realized that the Bible has a whole bunch to say about angels. There are over 265 references to angels in the Bible during the life of Christ. In fact, we're going to see it next week when we look at we're looking at ministry angels. Next week we actually see how the angels ministered to Jesus himself. We won't get to that tonight. You'll be amazed. Listen, when I first started looking at this, I didn't realize how much and how a part of angels were connected with Jesus, and we'll see that as we go through it. In our world today, there's a whole kind of supernatural. There's the courses, uh, the the occults, and and the cults and the occults, uh, occult, and then there's books and all kind of different things about angels. All right, I found that thing last week. You remember about uh, some of that? Well, I found something else this week. This is a former psychic warns. Of deceptive world of divination, okay. So we've been telling you that you know there's a there's a spirit world and there's a good spirit world and a bad spirit world. And in this room, even tonight, I am sure that there are good angels and bad angels in this room. We just can't see them. We just don't know. And and uh, but there is a dem- there is a demonic worldview. There I mean world, and there is a spiritual world that is evil. And I tell people all the time, don't mess with that stuff. Don't get close to it. Don't get involved with it. Not Ouija boards or games or those kind of things. Well, here's a girl. Here's a woman. Uh, Michael Knowles sat down with her, and she was a former psychic. And let me just read something what says she started with tarot cards. She just started, she, somebody told her about them, and she got them. She called it a stepping stone to devonary uh, practices, and she was convinced at a young age that she had a gift to be able to tell the future and those kind of things. And so she became a professional psychic. She says, when I was a real psychic medium, I wanted to help people. I, t- I was told I had a gift from God. And he said that, she said, that's what really draws you because you think you're helping people. She said that she made a lot of money as a psychic charging hundreds of dollars for readings. She also had her own div- uh, divination classes. But the practices, she says, later begin to upset her and things begin to get worse. And so she eventually quit it and became a believer. So she said she converted to Christianity. Okay, so she says this. She says, what's happening is we have this godless culture and that more and more people are turning to demonic practices because they want knowledge and power. She says, this is the deception that people really do want to know them. They, they think they're going to use, and she said, be careful when you get with these people because they're going to use God's words and even prayers as another way to suck you into something that is demonic. She said, this is New Age. New Age uses religious language, jumbles it up with all sorts of demonic stuff. She said, you've got to remember that Lucifer, Satan, comes as an angel of light. That's right. She goes on to say, Uh, she found it interesting that people would come back and all the way back to uh, psychics over and over again. She said, if a psychic could fix your problem, why do you have to keep coming back? That's what she said. She finally says what the problem is that people are looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for answers. They're looking for wisdom. They're looking for knowledge. But they're looking at the wrong place. And she says they're going to to um, demonic things rather than God. And so this is from a person that used to be a psychic, and she's gotten out of it, and she saw the demonic part of it. She saw all that stuff that was going on. And listen, y'all, we've talked about this over and over. It is out there. And, and, and you know, if, you, if you're not careful, you know, you get involved with that stuff. And before you know it, uh, it's there. Hold on just a second. I was trying to find the page. Well, oh, here it is. So anyway, th- there's a lot there. And, and we're going to talk about it. When we get to the demonic part, you're going to hate it. I mean, in the sense to see what they do and how they fool people and how how easy it is for people to be influenced. We said this, that a believer cannot be possessed because greater is he than in you, the he than in the world. you got, you got the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ inside you. But you can be influenced by it. You can be influenced and. Um, I'll tell us when we get into it, I've got some stories of some, some people that I've dealt with over the years that uh, got into some of this and some of the things that happened. So there's a lot there. We're looking at we're gonna see that the spirit world we saw in our first two lessons the existence of angels and the organization of angels. Tonight we're gonna look at the ministry of angels, both the good angels and the bad angels. You know, we're going to look at it that way. What, what's the ministry? How does it tie together those kind of things and what they do? So let's start with this. And this is, this is the key, and you got your little thing. The central, message deals, uh, wait a minute. the central message of the Bible is what deals with the cross of Christ. So I'll write that down. The central message of the Bible deals with the cross of Christ. I want you to think about that. When we say that the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible is what? The perfect... God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what's the central thing there? Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross. And so here's the story of the Bible. Here's this perfect God who wants to bring fallen man going back to Genesis, you know, when mankind fell. Going back to that, here is the how God says, I'm going to bring man back to myself and the whole thing goes to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's really a, that's the story of the Bible. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. From Adam and Eve all the way to the end. And if you go back over here to Adam and Eve and if you go all the way over here to the book of Revelation, the central part of everything goes back to the cross. It always goes to the cross. The whole Old Testament Is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who's going to die on the cross to pay for sin and rise again. We look back, all the way back from after Jesus died and rose again. We're saying, what's the most important thing? And that is that Jesus died and rose again. And that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Paul says that he is determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but it's to do what? Preach the gospel, not in cleverness speech, so that what? The cross of Christ should not be made void. Listen, when we talk to people, we're telling them Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have. The gospel message is the death and resurrection of Christ. The response is to believe, and the offer is eternal life. It's that simple. It's John 3.16. We must, we must highlight that. Let me tell you, there are people that are new to our church, that are new, And we've talked about this over and over. But I just want that some of you, I know, maybe haven't ever really put this together. I, don't really, I can't really do it exactly on Sunday morning. I'll usually give the gospel a lot of times. But when we talk about the word gospel, it means good news. And there is a message of the gospel. And there is an, uh, a response to the gospel. And there is an offer of the gospel. The, the, the message is Jesus died and rose again. The response is to believe and the offer is eternal life. It goes back to John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his son to die and rose again that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have what? Everlasting, Everlasting life. It is that simple. I hope and pray that every one of you, that you could even come up here and say, okay, here's the message, here's the response, here's the offer. We've got to be able to do that. Uh, we've got so much out there that is so confused, and that's one way that Satan can influence people, because his message is what: do good, and God will love you. That's his message, by the way. I thought before before I ever heard about Jesus and understood it. I was nineteen years old. If you'd have said to me, "You think you're going to heaven?" I would have said, "I think I think I am." Why? Because I've done. More good than bad. I believe that you could do more good than bad. You get to go to heaven. That is the lie of the devil, and that's the message of the devil. There is not one place in the Bible that says good works save you. And yet, that's a message that most people have. You talk to people, they say, well, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down an aisle, make a public profession, do this, keep doing good works, and then you can be saved. That's a false message. That's not from God. That's Satan's message. That's why we have to be so clear that we want people to understand that it's faith alone, Christ alone, for eternal life. Well, as we look at this, in 1 Peter chapter 1, P- Peter is dealing with this, this message. Let me put it that way. Uh, we're going to see God's plan of salvation. Look at 1 Peter, look at verse uh, 10. Look how it starts out. As to this salvation, now that we're talking about the eternal life salvation. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries. So the prophets did what? this Put this salvation under 1 Peter 1.10, put this salvation, and the prophets made what? Careful what? Search and inquiry. Look at this. As to this salvation, the story of how God, the perfect God, would do what? Bring sinful man to himself, using his son Jesus Christ. The story of how Jesus Christ died and rose again and how God sent him. And the Old Testament, what are they saying? These prophets, what were they saying in the Old Testament? What did Isaiah say? Isaiah 53. There's this one coming who's going to, All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord hath laid on him our what? Our sins. There's one coming that's going to pay for the sins. So here is Peter, and he writes and says, Now as far as this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, of the grace that would come to you, made careful search and inquiries. Now he's saying, these prophets who gave this message for who? For us. When Peter's writing, he's writing to the believers. And he's saying, do you realize these prophets, when they wrote this message of salvation that that talked about the grace that would come, they made careful search and inquiry. They were trying to figure out how all this fit together. Look at the next verse. They were seeking to know What person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow? He said they were sitting around wondering when was the one going to come who was going to suffer and die die and rise again. Notice it says his suffering, that's his what? Death. What's the glories that would follow? His resurrection. So you got to understand it's always the death and resurrection of Christ. It's always that message. It says, What about these prophets in the past who, when they were giving their messages? I mean, think about this. Do you think that every time Isaiah gave a prophecy that he understood everything? Isaiah seven fourteen. What's that prophecy? Anybody know it? Behold the virgin will be with the child and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name what? What's that a prophecy of? The birth of who? Have you ever read that prophecy? Have you ever read what it says back in Isaiah 7, 14? I don't think that Isaiah knew at that point when he wrote that down that it was talking about the birth of the coming Messiah. Read it sometime. It's actually the prophet Isaiah telling a stupid king he needs to listen to what God says. That's really what it's about. So they didn't understand everything that they wrote. But they talked about this suffering servant that would come and pay for the sins of the world. And so it says here that these, these prophets, they wanted to know. They were searching and everything. And and it goes on to say, and if this, if you keep going, it goes on to say here, they were seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Wow. They predicted it. They were predicting the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, here's the next verse is the one that I want you to see carefully. Verse 12. It was revealed to them. To who? To these prophets that they were not serving themselves. They weren't given the prophecy for themselves, but you, that's us now, In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He says, the prophecies have come true and have been told by people telling you about what these meant. So if I turn to you and I said, Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus, I'm fulfilling that prophecy by saying to you, here's what they meant, right? Now watch what he goes on to say. These things about the Messiah and the coming and his death and his resurrection, these are things that angels long to look. You know what that means? Angels want to know about God's salvation plan for mankind. You say, Well, I thought angels knew everything. No, they don't know everything. Look at the top of your page, it says things angels long to what? To look into. The word there, look into, literally means to peek, to look at, to bend down. It's as if you came and went, what's in there? Angels are looking down and saying, what is God doing with mankind? Now, why do they even care? Why is it so big a deal to them that mankind... Now, let me put it this way again, and we've talked about this a lot of times. Here's angels. And God is controlling everything. And then God says, I'm I'm giving them free will. And so an angel, a bad angel, sinned. And some other angels sinned. In fact, maybe a third of the angels sinned. And so then there are bad angels and good angels. What did God say when bad angels sinned and good angels didn't? Bad angels are going to go to the lake of fire now then there's man and man sinned there's not really good men and bad men they're all what they're all bad yeah they're all bad so God could say in the same way that he said to the bad angels every one of you are going to the but that's not what he said he said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to fix a way to save every one of you I'm going to send my son to die and rise again in your place, pay for your sins, conquer death, and give you eternal life. Angels say, what? Why? They're terrible. They're weak. We're better than they are. We're a lot stronger than they are. We we can do all kinds of things. And yet he took these people... And has saved them. But he didn't save these people. He didn't save these angels. Why do angels want to look into what God has done for us? Because there's no plan. There's no plan for the angels. They want to know why would God save man. Have you ever thought about that? And so one day you may be talking to some angels in the eternal state. And they may say to you, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because he didn't save all the angels. He saved people. Amazing. Amazing. Matthew 25, 30, 41 says the devil and his angels are headed for what? The the lake of fire. The eternal fire. And that's because that's what the plan is. So why... When we think about studying angels, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to see this, and we're going to see how God actually uses angels. But the first thing I wanted you to get was that all of the prophecies, everything was looking forward to us, and when it all has come to pass, these angels say, I want to know why. I want to know what's going on. I desire to know why God is doing what he's doing. It's really amazing. Drew? Huh? That's the lake of fire, that'd be hell, lake of fire, yeah, eternal fire, never, never ends. Let me, let me ask you a question real quick, just for fun, because we're going to have time tonight. Uh, in the eternal fire, in the lake of fire, uh, can you talk? Yeah, is it going to be so bad, it's like, this just like terrible, and, and uh, uh, can people talk? Uh, can people, ex- I mean, if it's eternal fire, what's it, what do you think it's going to be like? Well, there's no way to know, really. But if you remember in the heart of the earth, in the torment side, could they talk? Yeah. In fact, the guy said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, send the guy over here. I'm, I need some stuff on my tongue. I'm burning up over here. But he wasn't burning up like burning up that he couldn't talk and he, was, he wasn't screaming, was he? No. So when you think about the lake of fire, which sounds weird to begin with because a lake of fire, uh, how does it fit? What's it going to be like? Because we're not going to know, right? Uh, I hope nobody in this room is going to know about that. But anyway, so we'll see it. Let's talk about angels. You know, there are two kind of angels. We call the good angels and the bad angels. Uh, good angels sometimes are called elect angels or his chosen angels. or Sometimes they're called his holy angels. And then there's the bad angels, which are sometimes called fallen angels. And sometimes they're even called demons. So we want to look at, at their the ministry. What, what do they do? And we're going to start this, this next couple of weeks. We're going to only look at good angels, which is going to be good. We're going to see what they're like. We're going to focus on them. And then later on, we'll get and look a little bit more at the demons and what do they do. So let's talk about the ministry of angels. And if you want to write this down, we're going to, and I'll just give you a second to write it down. We're going to look at the four things. We're going to look at what I call special aspects of angels. Then we're going to look at angels' ministry to God. You know, the angels serve God. Then we're going to look at angels' ministry to mankind. Because we said, remember we said earlier in the first lesson that angels serve who? God and man. And so we're going to see the ministry to mankind. And then we're going to see next week, we won't see it this week, we're going to see the angels' ministry to Jesus. And I think it will surprise you. Were angels at the birth of Christ? Angels at the death of Christ. Angels at the resurrection of Christ. Angels at the ascensions of Christ. I mean, you start thinking of of anything, we're angels there. Uh, Just about anything you can think of dealing with Jesus. So we'll see it next time. So let's start with Ministry of angels. Let's look at what I call the special aspects, and we're going to see about it. So here's the first thing, okay? Angels can assume bodily form. In other words, they can look like people. They, they can come and look like people. Let me put this up here for you. Genesis 19. Just flip over there. I, I want you to turn to some places tonight. Just I know it's, sometimes it's, it's, it's too hard, and if you don't want to, I'll just read it. But in Genesis 19... It, they, there were two angels. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot saw them, and he went to meet them. And he, he, he put his face to the ground. But he, he didn't know they were angels when he first saw them, because what they look like? People. And you remember that time that he came, and, and that guy was waiting outside, and the two angels came. and the, they, they thought there were people. And when the bad people came to that house, they said, bring these men out. They, they, did, they looked like people. When Daniel... Daniel was, was over the water, uh, standing by the water in Babylon, and he saw a man above the water just above the water. That was an angel, but it looked like a person. Uh, the two angels at the tomb, when they went in to, to get Jesus, and he wasn't there, they, there were two angels there, one at the head and one at the feet, saying, why are you coming here? At the ascension of Jesus, you remember the guys were standing there, and he said, uh, you know, you should be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most part of the earth. And then he just lifted up and left, and they were all looking like this. And then two men were standing there, and they said, why are you all looking up there? Go back to Jerusalem. Those were all angels so angels can assume bodily form now let me ask you this question what about demons Th- i mean think about this <clears throat> when you think about the ministry of jesus where do you see the demons at they're either they're possessing something i'm not saying that demons can't take some kind of form But whenever you see most of the time, like even when Satan came, what kind of form did he take in the garden? Look like a snake. Okay, I'm not saying that they can't because we've seen there are demons that come up out of the pit and all these kind of things and all that. But it's really weird that you can see angels take human forms that are good angels. But when you start looking for bad angels, it seems like they're possessing something. So I'm not saying that they can't take that, but it just seems a little strange that every time you look at it. And what did those those demons say uh, when they were in that man, the legion? They said, "Send us into the what? The pigs. They didn't want to go to the where, to the big hole, and they didn't want to go to the abyss." Yeah, yeah. Are you saying that good angels can assume human form like it could even like a normal person with an angel? The angel's soul desires, but a demon cannot do the same. I don't know. I'm saying that when I see the scripture a lot. I can see that there are times that good angels take the form of people or some other form. But when you look, especially at the time of Christ, the demons seem to be possessing something rather than having their own form. Do you all see what I'm saying? So as a or an yeah. Well, they, they were into pigs and they were in a man. and they, you know, though, So they, they're, they, they're possessing something. But I'm not saying that they can't take a form. Because we see in the book of Revelation, I hear those beings coming up, I think they're I think they're demons. But they don't look human, let me put it that way. Okay. I'm saying that when I see it in Jesus' time, it looked like they had to possess somebody mm-hmm. to have a, a presence, so to speak. Okay. But I'm not saying that's for sure. I'm just saying that. Just think about it. It looks, seems weird to me. Okay. How about number two? Angels can communicate, right? They communicate, they communicate to other angels, they communicate to God, to man. Job chapter one, let me just read this to you. This is such a, this is so strange to me. Job chapter one. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, the sons of God are angels, came to present themselves before God, and Satan came. And the Lord said to Satan, where you come from? I mean, they came up to see God, and they talked. And that these angels speak to each other, and they speak to God. Angels, they they can communicate. Angels came, and they spoke to Daniel. Angels came, and they talked to Mary. Angels came, they talked to Zacharias. Uh, Remember, Mary comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid. You know, you're going to bear a son. Came to Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son. His name will be John, and he'll be the forerunner of the Messiah. So angels, they can communicate. Angels communicate. The third thing, angels are above humans. Now, what I mean by that, and, it's, and, and uh, it's going to be kind of a hard way to say it, but angels are made a little lower than, uh, people are made a little lower than angels. In fact, when Jesus became a person, Hebrews 2.9 says, Jesus became a person a little lower than the angels. Well, what does that mean? Well, it can't, it, it, for Jesus, it can't mean power or authority because he's God. But it has some idea there that uh, uh, when you think about beings, we've always said that there's God, and then there's angels, and then there's man, mankind, and then there's animals. And when Jesus left the glories of heaven, he became a man. It says he was made a little lower than the angels. And whether it means some kind of power or authority or service in some way, we don't know. Now, Jesus never, even though he became a human being and even though he became lower than the angels, he's always the God-man. There's nothing like him. Uh, one of the most unusual passages is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that says, we will judge angels. And we talked about it last week and the week before that. We don't know what that means. We don't know that means What well, we're rewarding the good angels or does it mean we're going to stand there when God casts the bad angels into the lake of fire and we say something like, we told you. I mean I, I don't know. I don't know what it means. Yeah, Drew. Why was Jesus a person lower than the angels? I can not hear you. Why was Jesus a per, like becoming a person a little lower than the angels? Well, the Bible says that the why was Jesus when he became a person lower than the angels. It says that he was made for a little while lower than the angels and what that means is he became a person and he 's the God man, but he became a person and the way the Bible is listing it that man is lower than angels it doesn't mean they don't have the authority because we 're going to judge them, but it has something to do I think with some kind of power or aspect because we don't have the same power as angels do. I mean one angel killed a hundred and eighty five thousand soldiers, so we we just it so I, whatever it means, I just wanted you to see that angels are above humans in the sense of how that pattern goes what Oh, oh, that one, that we'll judge angels? Yeah, judging angels is First Corinthians 6.3. Made a little lower is Hebrews 2.9. Okay, get this one. Here's the next one. Angels exist forever. Luke 20, verse 36. For they cannot die anymore. That's, what, that's the idea. Because they're talking about people. And it says, because they're like angels. And are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. They were talking about what about people when they die. And Jesus said, yeah, when a person is raised from the grave, they'll never die anymore. They're like the angels. Angels exist forever. They're not eternal either. Now remember, we said there's a difference between having eternal life and being eternal. God is eternal. He's always existed, past, present, future. We haven't always existed. We're not eternal, but we have eternal life. Angels, after they're created, they exist forever. So we just wanted you to see that angels exist forever. They will last forever. And then here's one that is really the key. Angels, when we say have free will, I should probably change that and maybe say it this way. Angels had free will. Okay? They made choices. But the best we can tell is when when Lucifer sinned and the angels broke off and some went with Lucifer and some stayed with God... It seems that after that, it's set that the bad angels are never going to be good and the good angels are never going to be bad. And it's like established in that pattern. And and that's why we we look at it that way because we see that there are good angels that are always good. And since angels aren't created, they, they made one group of angels at one time. And, of course, you might say, well, how many angels did he make? How many angels do you think he made? Millions and millions and millions, which I, I can't even comprehend it. But he didn't say, okay, these angels are going to reproduce later on. They don't. They don't reproduce. So, And in, in I put Ezekiel 28 for you because that's where Satan... Uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are two places. You could write them both down. Write Isaiah 14 down as well. Uh, that's by Satan. That is where Satan decided to sin and to leave and to claim to be God. And that's when God removed him. And so he sinned. And in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it said, the angels that sinned. Look, look, if y'all got it, let me get this next slide. Look at 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and it's is it's not the word hell, it's the word Tartarus. It's not, it's not the word for lake of fire. It's, t- it's Tartarus, which we've talked about before. And committed to them to pits of darkness refers, uh, for judgment. Now, this, I think, is referring to a particular group of angels that sinned. You remember we talked about that, I think, last week about in Genesis chapter 6. Some angels seem to have come down and had sexual relations with human beings. which is a weird thing. But we said that in the heart of the earth is a place called it basically Sheol or Hades, heart of the earth. Uh, there's a gulf down the middle. On one side was called Paradise. On the other side was not a name, but we called it Torments. And there is a place in there called Tartarus. And we think those bad angels, when they sinned, he cast them into Tartarus, reserved for a time of judgment. There's going to be a time he's going to judge all the bad angels, and he's going to cast them into the lake of fire. So I just drew that up for you, just for you to sort of see how that fits. So Second Peter, it's the angels that sinned. Yeah, he did not spare the angels that sinned, but reserved them for some kind of judgment. You know, when you think about it, that means that in the heart of the earth... There are some angels who are kept in judgment, waiting for God to judge them. And if you remember when that that demon, that was the demons that were in that uh, uh, that man, and they said, "Don't send us into the abyss," I think they're talking about this place right here. So who knows? Now here's the other part that we all know: there's no salvation for the fallen angels. Hebrews chapter two, verse sixteen says, "For surely He does not give help to angels." but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. What he's saying there, what God is saying, is when Jesus came, he didn't come for angels. He didn't become a what? He didn't become, he's not an angel to pay for angels' sin. He became a person to pay for people's sin. Okay, and that's what he says here. For sure, he did not give help to the angels. He didn't come to help the angels. He came to give help to the descendants of Abraham. And they just say offspring of Abraham, the the believing people. So you think about that issue earlier. There's no salvation for the angels. In James chapter 2, you remember that part. In James chapter 2, it's kind of the famous passage where it says, Even the demons believe and tremble. Okay, what do they believe? What What do fallen angels believe? They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he's the savior of the world. And that he died and rose again and paid for the sins of all mankind. They believe that. Okay? But they can't believe that he's their what? Savior. Why? Because he didn't die for them. And that's why it says even they believe and tremble. Because they know that he is not their savior. He is their what? Judge. So just remember that. You would not believe how many people say things like, even the demons believe and tremble. Oh, they don't believe the right way. It doesn't matter what they (laughs) believe. They can believe all they want to about Jesus, but they can't believe that he's their Savior because he's not. He didn't die for them. So just remember that. There's no salvation for the demons. So when you get down to it, there's no plan of salvation. So why, so why, you can see why sometimes the angels desire to look into the things that God is doing for mankind. Because what what why did he do what he did? What is going on there? How does it fit? Okay, now let's look at that, get, get that little background. Let's see their ministry to God. Okay, what do they do? Well, how do angels, and of course, now we're talking all good angels. How do good angels serve God? The first thing is they worship Him. They worship Him. Psalm 148, I want to read it for you. And I'm not going to read all the verses tonight just because of time so we can have more time for questions and things. But Psalm 148, it talks about, it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Host is another name for angels. And so, what do the angels do? They worship God. They're commanded to worship Him, in fact. And they praise the Creator. They understand who He is. Remember Isaiah? Look at Isaiah 6, verses 2 and 3. Seraphim were standing above Him, and they had six wings. With two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and they flew with two. And one called out to the other and said, "What? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why do you think there's three holies? Father, Son, Spirit. I think that's what it is, you know. And so I think that what are what are these angels, these seraphim? What are they doing? They're worshiping God. They're worshiping God. You remember? And I won't take the time, but in Revelation chapter four, when John was taken up into heaven, tell me what did he see? What was the first thing he saw when he got up there? He saw this what? This this throne, and there was something sitting on the throne, but he couldn't really tell what it is. And then who was around the throne? 24 elders and four living creatures and a rainbow that was emerald. And he saw all that. And then as time went by, he saw more and more angels. And they were saying, worthy are you. And worthy." in Revelation chapter 5, when they see the Lamb, Jesus Christ, what do they say? Worthy are you to take it. And so they're praising God. And so they worship God. And they fall down before him. That's what angels do. They worship God. And, I mean, I can't even picture them but I mean the best I can say is I can just see all of these beings falling down before God the second thing is they serve God Uh, Psalm 103 verse 20 basically says they perform his word that means they do what he says you know, if we're going to perform his word, that means that we look at the scripture and we do what it says. And and they carry out his commands. I think of Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 16. We hadn't got to 16, but in chapter 7, you saw seven angels. What were they doing? They were bringing judgment on the world when they blew the seven trumpets. And why were they doing that? Because God told them to do that. They serve God. They do what God says for them to do. They... Uh, This may surprise you. Uh, You got that one? Look at this right here. Oh, that's the verses right there. Look at this right here. Angels were used to give the law of Moses. Acts chapter 7 verse 53 said it was ordained by angels. Do you realize that when Moses went up on the mountain and God wrote the law, angels were there helping and giving the stuff to Moses. Let me ask you a question. I'll throw this out just because of time. Um, when Moses came down the mountain, he had what? What did he have? Two what? Two tablets and, and the, you know, Charlton Heston came down. What did he come down with? It's these two big deals, right? You think that's what it was? Do you know what it was most likely? he had, The Hebrew says he had both tablets in one hand. They were most likely round with writing around it on both sides. They were probably... Some on one side, some on the other side, some on this side, some on that side. He came down. It says he came down with the tablets in his hand. It's not plural. It's singular. So don't picture Charlton Heston with the big deals. Picture him coming down. And That's why he just threw them down and broke them. He threw them down and broke them. They were there. In fact, Galatians 3.19 says that the angels ordained the giving of the law. They're everywhere, y'all. When you start thinking of angels, they're everywhere. Okay, get this one. They delivered messages. We all know that they came to Mary and told her the message. They came to Zacharias and told him the message. They came to the shepherds and told the message. And, and look at this right here. They came to Daniel and told a message Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all these places. I just put Luke down, but that's where uh, angels come to Mary and angels come to the shepherds and angels come. All of those things, they're everywhere. They come and bring messages. Now, who's the most famous messenger angel? Gabriel, he's always there. I mean, it just seems like that's his, his role. And it's kind of, I think, I, think it's, I think it's great that you can read Daniel and Gabriel shows up and gives Daniel information and then 500, almost 600 years later, Gabriel shows up again and gives Mary information. Same angel. I just go, isn't that, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, angels bring judgment. Angels bring judgment. That's Sodom, uh, Genesis 19, is Sodom and Gomorrah. What did the angels do? They said there's going to be judgment here, and they they went to they went to um, the, you know the people there, and 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 they was warning. Of course, uh, Lot. They went to Lot and said, "You got anybody in town? You got anybody here?" He said, "Well, I got my daughters, and they're." And we couldn't tell whether they were husbands or fiancés or some connection. And my wife, and he said, get every one of them, get out of town. He's, we're fixing to bring judgment on this place. We're going to bring judgment. And, of course, uh, the ne- they all laughed at him. And then the next morning, he came and he got him and said, you better get out. And he took them by the The angel took them by the hand and got them out of the city. And, of course, what happened? The guys didn't come. The two girls came. The guys didn't come. And what happened to the wife? What, what, what do you think, why do you, this is so weird, but why did, what do you mean she looked back and became a pillar of salt? Don't look back. I mean, that's kind of the key, right? I mean, I don't think it meant she's running and looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. I think it's saying, I don't want to go. I'm not go- I don't want to go. I mean, she, I don't think she's running for her life and looks back and for some reason she becomes a pillar of salt. I think she just didn't want to go. Um one of my favorite passages when I say favorite it sounds nasty to say this because Herod was given this speech and people needed his help so Herod is like he's 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 not a, he's not Herod the great who he, this is a grandson of Herod the great and he stands up and he starts giving this speech and he's wearing this silver robe and everybody starts clapping and cheering because they want to get on the good side because he feeds them And so they started saying, this is the voice of God rather than a man. The voice of a God rather than man. And he went, thank you, thank you. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Who struck him? An angel. You know, uh, I, I just think it's amazing to see angels do that sort of thing, you know. Uh, powerful. So, Herod, uh, I guess what one of the things you need to learn is who gets the glory? In anything you do, God does. God does. Okay, there's another aspect the special events um, at the creation. If you want to write this down, Job 38 4 through 7, God says, The angels sang for joy at the creation of the world. So, we talked about the fact that angels were created before the creation of this world. Because they were there singing for joy when the world was created. Uh, that The law came, you know, the finger of God and the angels of the media. I don't know if I have a slide for that or not. I do. Same thing. Let me go back again just in case you wanted to write that down. Job 38 verses 4, 5 and 4 through 7. They sang for joy at the creation. It's really pretty amazing. Uh, let me quickly. do How many of you read Job? I mean, really read it? I mean job God, job is so great and, and and God allows Satan to get him and and he's just going terrible, and three of his friends show up, and they sit there for seven days, and they're just crying and weeping, and then job says, it's just been terrible, and then the very first thing they say is it's because you're a sinner, you're just a wicked sinner, and why don't you just admit it if you admitted you were a sinner and get all this stuff over with, you'd be okay. And the first guy says that, and Job says, I, I haven't done anything wrong. And the second guy says, you're just, you're just an idiot. You're a sinner, and if you just admit it. And they go on, and it's three cycles of this, and you, it just breaks your heart, and you think. Uh, and finally, Job says, you guys are nothing. And so another guy shows up out of the blue and says, I've been sitting here listening to all this, and I need to really talk. And he tells Job how bad a sinner he is. And finally, God shows up. And God says, first of all, you guys need to go sit somewhere else. And then God talks and says, Job, where were you when I created everything? You know, you've, you've challenged me to come. But where have you been when I created everything? And then he ends it all by saying, okay, Job, you're good. And I'm going to accept your sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. You three guys, I'm going to let Job offer a sacrifice for you. Because you have said things that are incorrect. Oh, I love that book because Job is so amazing, so amazing. All right, now let's talk about, whoops, that's, that's that one. Now let's talk about God's ministry to us. I mean, angels' ministry to us. Wow, mankind. And this is this is wild. Angels, they're all over the Bible. They do all kind of things. Uh, and if we get through early, we'll open it up for more questions. But So what do they do for us? Well, here's number one. They serve us. They serve us. We're made a little, what? A little lower than the angels, but yet they serve us. Is that right? Let me draw something up here. When you think about it, uh, these angels are servants to people. Uh, look, I'm going to read this for you. I love The book of Hebrews is amazing, by the way. It's hard, but it's really amazing. He talks about angels, and he says, of the angels did he ever say set at my right hand. See he's talking about how how, that Jesus is better than any angels I mean even though Jesus made a little lower than angels he's still better than any angel and he says whatever angel did God ever say set by me he didn't say that and so he ends it up and says are not angels ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation who inherits salvation We do. How do we get salvation? By believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we don't do anything for it, right? So we're saved and saved forever. And what do we have? Salvation. And what serves us? Angels. Has an angel ever served you? Have you ever done? You know, the Bible talks about it in the book of Hebrews is uh, be kind to strangers because you never know when you're helping an angel or an angel is there. You never know when you're entertaining angels. Uh... Uh, they, they serve. Listen, look at this. I love this. They used to guide people. Acts eight twenty six, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go to the south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Did you know here is Philip and he's been telling people about Christ, he's been doing all kinds of things, and an angel comes to him and says, What you need to do is go down south to Gaza. You've you sort of heard of Gaza Strip, haven't you? Same thing. Go down to Gaza and, and wait there. And when he goes down there, this, this Ethiopian eunuch comes by who had been worshiping, reading the book of Isaiah. And the angel said, go stick yourself. It actually says, go stick yourself to the chariot. And so he goes up there and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, I can't understand unless somebody teaches me. He says, I'll show you. And he gets up and they're reading Isaiah 53. Isn't that wild? And he shows him about Jesus Christ. But who did that? Angel of the Lord. Angel told him to go down there. Okay, angels bring messages from God. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, To Mary, to Zacharias, to Daniel, to Cornelius, to Paul. That everywhere, angels bring messages to people. From God. Um, I talked about the very first night about my friend named Chuck who his house, they were flood, it was flooding and he had, his wife was already in the car and he had two, his two kids and all of a sudden the water was getting up too fast and he was trying to figure out how can I get both these kids across this water before it gets too high and the person was right there and said give me the kids, give me the kids so he got them to him and he got them across and he turned back around and when he turned back around the man, the person was gone and he looked up and down and there was no way the person could be gone and I, and he thinks it was an angel who came to help. Can angels do that? Yeah, we'll talk about guardian angels. You know, are there guardian angels? Are, do they protect us? Are there such things? We'll see it in a few minutes. the The third thing is angels bring answer to prayer. Have you thought about that? Angel uh, bring bring answers to prayer. In Acts chapter twelve, they're all praying, and. Uh, for Peter, let me let me put this for you. I, I love it. I just want you to see it. It's just, you know, you can't just say a verse and, and not look at it. But angel, in Acts chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. But they're going to put Peter to death. Um, you know, uh, he had killed uh, Herod, a different Herod, by the way. Herod had laid hands on someone belonging belonged to the church. He killed James, and then he arrested Peter, and he was going to put him to death. And that was the plan. And so it says in verse 5 that Peter was kept in this prison, and prayer was being made. Prayer was being made for him. And on that very night, Herod was about to bring him forth. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. And a light came in there. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up. Now, uh, Peter's going to die the next day. What's Peter doing? Sleeping. He said, like, I, I, I don't worry about it. I, you know, I'm just going to bed. Uh, and it and an angel came, woke him up. I always think this is, listen, I always think this is weird. It says that James, it gives one little thing. It says, James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword. That's all it says. It gives three verses on telling Peter to get dressed. I mean, I just think it's weird. I mean, put on your shoes, put on this, put on this. And In one verse, James dies. Three verses, put on your clothes. So I, I just always thought that was weird. What did this angel do? Angel came and got him out. His chains fell off. Guards fell asleep. Doors opened up. They walked past the guards. They got to the outside door. It says it opened by itself. They walked out, walked down the street, and as they were walking down the street, angel disappeared. Angels, they're they're amazing. They're there. Um in Acts chapter 5, an angel delivered the apostles. Do you realize they put them in jail for his preaching? And the angel comes in the middle of the night, opens the cell, and says, uh, Go home, and in the morning, go out there and be preaching in the temple. And the next morning, they go preaching in the temple, and the religious leaders meet together, and they don't even know that. And they say, Let's go try these guys. And they go to the jail to get them out, and there's nobody in there. And then somebody comes in and says, Oh, by the way, they're out there in the temple preaching. How did that happen? Angel delivered them. Angel delivers. Oh, amazing. The fourth one. Angels observe Christian work, suffering, and God's plan using people. Remember, this goes back to the verse that says they want to look at what we're doing. They observe it. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is this is amazing. It says, For I think, I think. God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, he said, we're last of all in the big thing, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world. The whole world is looking at us and also what? Both to angels and to men. He said, angels are seeing what we do. Angels are seeing what we do. This is one in Second Timothy. I don't know if I have the verse up there or not, but I'll, well, I'll look in just a second. I can't find what I'm looking for. I think it's First Tim. Oh, I'm sorry, First Timothy five, twenty-one. He says, "I saw him." Paul is writing. He says, "I saw him you in the presence of God." and of Christ, and his chosen angels. He says, you've got to do your ministry, and who's looking? God the Father, the Son Jesus Christ, and who else is looking? Angels. So you may think it doesn't matter. You could say, nobody cares what I do. Nobody cares what I do. God doesn't care. Yes, he does. He knows everything you do, right? He knows everything you think and everything you do. And he loves you to the maximum, so don't worry about it. What about Jesus. Well, do you realize angels know what you do? They're watching you. They're watching you serve God. It's amazing. They desire to know what we're doing. Angels provide and protect people. This is what we talked about, like the old guardian angels. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 8, guess what an angel did? When Elijah was running for his life and God said, I want you to go down somewhere, get down there, he got down there, and an angel came and showed him where to go, where to get stuff, and told him where to get by the river, and he sent a bird. Angel took care of him. Daniel, in the lion's den. What did Daniel say the next morning when the guy said, Daniel, are you all right? Daniel said, yeah, an angel of the Lord has shut the mouth of the lions. I put uh, the three Hebrew boys in the lion's den. You know, we all believe probably that was Jesus in there, but... But there was some being in there. Some say that it was an angel helping the Hebrew boys. Some say it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in there. But either way, there was something there. Paul on the ship. You remember they got on that ship and they were going to Rome? And they decided they would try to go around the side of the island and and, and winter, you know, winter there. And the thing blew them out into the thing. And all of a sudden, it was the storm. The storm lasted for like three weeks. The rain came down. They lost everything. They had to throw everything overboard. They thought they were all going to die. It says they gave up hope. Two weeks, they hadn't even saw the sun in two weeks. Constant rainstorm. The ship was tossed. Everybody was throwing up. It was just terrible. It was just horrible. And... Paul stands up in front of all the people. It's 276 people on that ship. And he says, let me have your attention. You should have listened to me and not gone on this trip. I thought that's not the way to start it. But he says, an angel of the Lord whom I serve appeared to me last night and said, everyone will be safe. I'm going to Rome. Everybody's going to make it, although we will lose the ship. Angel told him and saved them all. And then we the, We talked about the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah. And are there guardian angels? Think about this. Matthew 18.10 talks about it. Let me read something to you. Uh, Matthew, we know that the, the, about the guardian angels, the, the face of these little children. Uh, but Psalm 34, I want you to listen to this. There's two psalms. I just want you to maybe write them down because it's really powerful. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Okay, and then Psalm ninety-one eleven, which I think is even the better one. Psalm ninety-one eleven. let me get it for you. Just listen to what this says. He will give charge to his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Do you think you have a guardian angel? You may. Have you ever, like, thought gosh, I don't know why, but I just decided not to go and something happened. Or uh, I pulled over for some strange reason. Something just told me to pull over and I realized if I hadn't pulled over, I'd have been in that wreck up there. Or so, I mean, have you ever had things like that happen to you and you say, I don't know why, but I just thought that. I just, um, you know, I, I think, I think it, God loves us and protects us and He uses angels. Angels are present at death. Now, you're going to love this one. I'm going to go to Luke 16 because I want to read this to you. There were two people. There was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man, uh, dressed in purple, which meant the most expensive clothes, and had great living. But the poor man, his name was Lazarus, he, he's laid at the gate of this man's house. Because in those days, you know, if you laid at the gate of a rich man's house and you just laid there begging, sometimes people going in to see the rich man were also rich and so they might toss a few coins your way as they went in to visit. Uh, the poor man was named Lazarus. And he laid at the gate and he was covered with sores and he, he wanted to be fed with the crumbs from the fallen from the rich man's table And the, but the, but the, even dogs came and just licked his sores. That's pretty terrible, okay? And so if you look at it, now what you're going to find is the man Lazarus is actually a believer. And the rich man's not a believer. And listen to what happens. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now that's, the, that's before Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin. So a believer would go to where? Heart of the earth to Abraham's bosom are called paradise. What did it say when he died? It came about when the poor man died that he was carried away by the what? Mm-hmm. Angels. Now, let me, let's stop for a second. Uh, as a pastor, I've been, I've been in rooms when people died. I mean, that's part of the thing. Sometimes I'm at the hospital. I've been when people die. Um, uh, I've, I've seen some sort of strange things. I've seen where a person we think was about to die, and they would say something like, I see you. I see you there. And and uh, I've had one family person ask the person, "What do you see?" And they said, "I see angels." Now, whether they do or not, whether they're hallucinating, whatever. I'm just saying that sometimes uh, we, we never know. This passage says that when he died, he was carried away by by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I think, I personally think, that when believers die, angels take us. And now, to be absent from the body is to be where present with the Lord. I think angels take us to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what I think. But look at this other one though. And the rich man also died and it didn't say anything, did it? Did the angels bury him? Did the angels take him any place? In fact, where did he end up? Do you know? He ended up on the bad side of the, uh, in the heart of the earth, if you remember. Let me draw it up again. There's the gulf. And this is Abraham's bosom, our paradise. And this is Lazarus. And here's the rich man. He's on this side. And he actually can see and talk. And he says to Abraham over here, he says, tell Lazarus to come over here and give me me some water. I wonder how many times he went out and gave Lazarus water. Probably none. What do you think? And Abraham said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, He can't do that. There's this big gulf and you can't go from one side to the other. And so the rich man says, well... What you do, send Lazarus back, I got some brothers, and and tell them about this place so that they will not have to come down here and be with me. And Abraham says, look, they got the word of God. And if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe if even somebody raises from the dead. People say things all the time like, if I could just see a miracle. Miracles don't make people believe. You know what makes people believe? The word of God. Word of God is alive and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not miracles. I mean, Jesus did signs, but his signs were to point out who he is. And what was his message? Believe in me for eternal life is always the word. (coughs) So they're present at death. Um, Angels serve unbelievers. Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 8. I I, I want to talk about this real quickly. But... Have you ever heard somebody say that unbelievers are not capable of believing? How many of you have ever heard that? Anybody heard that? How many of you ever heard that an unbeliever can't respond to God in any way, shape, or form? How many of you ever heard that? Most of our people hadn't heard that. Where have y'all been? No, I'm saying. okay. (laughs) I'm glad you hadn't heard it because it's wrong. Unbelievers can respond to God. And here's the perfect example. Here's an unbeliever, his name is Cornelius, he's a Roman soldier, and he loves God, but he doesn't know anything about God. He's actually done some things, and he gives money and everything, and one day an angel comes to an unbeliever and says, your prayers and alms have gone up to God. What? An unbeliever can go up to God? Yes. And he says, I want you to send to a place for a man named Simon Peter, and he will tell you, bring him here, he will tell you how you can have eternal life. And so he sent some people over there, Peter comes back with six guys with him, they come back, and they tell him about Jesus, right in the middle they all believe. And so here's an angel coming, and helping an unbeliever. Uh, I remember there was a guy that used to be an evangelist, uh, and he would teach that God can't hear the prayer of an unbeliever. That's incorrect. God hears everything. God knows everything. And God responded to Cornelius, who was an unbeliever. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly, exactly. Here's one more. Here's, you got to, let me think. Is this, I've got to get the right page. Okay, here's one more. Angels, I put it in a strange way, because let me tell you why. Angels have joy at man's deliverance. I didn't put salvation because Luke 15 is where it says that there will be joy over a person who, what? Who repents. If you look at the passage, all three are believers. The, all three stories, the story of the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son All all of them belong to the person. The sheep belong. He has 100 sheep, and he loses one and goes back and gets it. Everybody's happy. Lady has the 10 coins. She loses one. She finds it, comes back and happy. Has two sons, one goes off and comes back a lot of people want to use the prodigal son as an unbeliever becoming a believer but he's not he's the he's the son of the father all the way through and when he comes back he he says to the father father I don't deserve to be your son he said no you are my son bring out the good stuff so those passages are not showing salvation they're showing res- restoration and so and the angels rejoice when people are restored when there's deliverance when the, in fact By the way, I want you to understand something, and just listen to this, and you have to trust me because I don't have time to explain it. Angels receive, uh, rejoice. Angels rejoice at the salvation of a soul. The salvation of a soul is not eternal life. Salvation. The salvation of a soul is physical deliverance. Just understand that when it says in the Bible, in the Book of James, it says, "They who one who saves a soul from death." That's talking about physical deliverance. It's not talking about eternal life. The soul is not, is not that aspect. So just remember that when you see soul, and you remember what a person is made of. It's got a body, a soul, a conscience, a sp- uh, flesh, a spirit, those kind of things. So just remember that. The saving of the soul is always physical deliverance. And we'll talk more about that at another time. just want you to see it. So they're right there. They're happy when good things happen. So let me give you some applications. I'm sorry I didn't go. I, we're getting through it later than I thought. Okay, let's understand Let's understand angels' ministry, okay? They serve their spirit beings. They serve God. They serve mankind. They serve Jesus. They do all the good stuff. Uh, And and we're talking about the good angels here. They they do all the good things, all right? Second, uh, let's understand the angels' ministry to the living God. What do they do? They, they serve him, they praise him, they worship him, they bring judgment, they do messages. There's all kinds of things like that. And then number three, let's understand angels' ministry to people. They send messages, they answer prayer, they protect, they're there at death. Uh, there's joy when there's a, a deliverance of some kind of way, so they're always there.